This week we welcome D.D. Wilbon and Superintendent Candace Bethay. Educators, um, D.D. Wilbon uh, is a parent and Candace Bethay is the superintendent for Marion County School District. One, Candace. Hello. Yeah, hello there. And she's from my hometown, Marion, South Carolina. But look, this is all about education. Look, I got to start out this way. You know, there's a situation um, right down the road from us in Baltimore, Augusta Fells um, School. I mean, it's just a nightmare. Grade fixing, um, shadow kids don't show up to class. Kids rarely show up to class. The school is still getting paid for it. Um, there are reports uh, where kids are having sex in the hallway. I, I, I ain't even bringing this up, but it's just real. Kids having sex in the hallway. Parents try, the teachers try to take the cell phone from the kid. The kid curses them out, or, uh, you know, punches them. It's as if the kids are running their asylum. It's, these schools are so out of control. Is this something that's just isolated for big cities like Baltimore and other places? Is it something that really happens in places like rural South Carolina? Are the kids really running the classrooms, running the schools? And, and there is very little that parents and administrators can do about it. I, I can't wait to hear your comments, because I'm sure this is nothing new to you about what goes on inside the classroom with these kids, and how the, and instead of the parents coming to support the school and sort of bringing back the kind of stability where you have, give these kids the best education, sometimes they're just as much as fault as, the, as their kids are. In fact, the kids are more of a reflection of them. One thing I will say is that um, today's youth are so exposed because of social media and the access that they have um, to material. And a lot of the content that they have access to, their, their minds aren't mature enough to be able to handle that content. And it's surprising that you ask that question. Right now in South Carolina, we do have schools that have already had concerns based off of this new TikTok challenge that is taking place all over the country, where students are being encouraged and challenged um, of misbehavior. Um, do, destroying school property, um, disruptive behaviors. Um, but I will say that the key, in my opinion, is that we have to not omit the home. The reality is the home plays a significant role in the lives of our children. And so making sure that we have a two-way conversation between the school and parents and making sure that when they enter our doors, where we have the control that we provide structure and that we are constantly practicing our policies, meaning if we have a code of conduct in place, when that conduct is not meeting that standard, then we have to take the action as we state it. Um, because if not, students will take advantage of it. And so unfortunately, um, I can't say in Marion County, we've had that, that issue at this point, but in some of our surrounding PD um, schools, we have had some TikTok challenges and where students are becoming out of control within the learning environment, so, which is unfortunate. You know, so when you think about this with the pandemic, um, kids are going back to the classroom for the first time in two years. I mean, I never really thought about schools as a war zone and what, what, what personnel and what teachers... In fact, sometimes they tell you the last thing that's happening in the classroom, Didi, is that they're getting an opportunity to teach because they're dealing with so many other issues. That's really sad. And, and First of all, Armstrong, thank you so much for having me. I'm a mom. I have a 19-year-old who is in college, and I have a 14-year-old daughter. And I have to agree with um, 
with the superintendent. It really, in my opinion, it does start in, in the home. And it's a team effort. And I got this from my parents. My mom and my dad, they weren't the type of parents where you just dropped off at school. They were involved. And I think it is a, in order for our children to be successful, it takes it, all of us to work together, the teachers, the two students, the parents. But it does start at home. And my 14-year-old, she has a cell phone. I know her code. I know how to get into her phone. I'm checking her phone. I ask her for a phone. So I know about the TikTok challenges and things that are going on. But parents have to talk to their kids. And a lot of that's not happening. And some people say, oh, Didi, you're a helicopter mom. I'll continue to be a helicopter mom as long as I'm involved with my students, my, my children, my, their teachers, the principals. Everyone knows me and their father. Because it takes a village. It takes everyone working together to, to make sure that our kids are successful. You know, you mentioned this. You know, I was, you know, everybody knows about Sonic the Hedgehog, which was a cartoon in the early days. And they just came out with a movie. And, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog was male. All of a sudden, Sonic the Hedgehog is binary. He's not male or female. And the parents take their kids to the movie and they're outraged. And you ask yourself, who is pushing and feeding these messages to these kids, causing this a future? And, and, and you obviously know what the outcome, and you talk about what you're already dealing with. You got not just social media, but mainstream media. You go to the movies. It's just everywhere. It's as if it's, a it's, if it's an agenda to destroy our way of life and to destroy our kids. Um, Superintendent Bethay, it's crazy. Well, I, I do agree. I think, again, going back to that home front, that as parents, we've got to make sure that we have control of our homes. If we don't have control of our homes, when our students walk out of those home doors, then that behavior is just going to escalate. And so um, I'm disheartened when I drive around and it's 9 or 10 o'clock at night and you see young children out unsupervised. And so what we have to do as educators as much as we can, even when we feel that we're not making a difference, is better educate our parents and emphasize the need for them to be parents. Um, so often you have parents that are trying to fit the bill of friend. Um, and I think that you can be a friend to a child, but you have to be a parent first. Set limits, have parameters in your home. And I think that um, if our parents would play a, a more prominent role or key role in the child's lives, when they walk out that door to those school doors, then those expectations will carry um, through. Let me, let me just stick with you. You got me and the children going back to school. Teachers must catch up. Students don't learn the same. You got this pandemic has real, revealed a lot about education in the United States, and the scorecard is not necessarily pre pretty. You got some. You got the. You got this conversation between uh, uh, administrators masked and unmasked, and how do you deal with the social distancing? And some parents who don't want their kids masked because they feel as though they've been isolated on lockdown for the last two years, and the kids are already depressed. How do you balance this all out to create the learning environment for these kids after two years? Yes, it um, it has been a balancing act, I will tell you, and um, it has been a challenge as well. But in the same token, in terms of how do we balance that out? Um, the reality is through transparency, making sure that we're transparent with what our expectations are, transparent with our mitigation factors in schools, and giving our parents a, a sense of, of comfort and listening to their concerns and not undermining or demeaning or minimizing their concerns. Um, again, we do know that this um, new variant has become um, 
on a rise right now in South Carolina. And we know that parents are very fearful. And so we acknowledge that fear, but we try to make sure that we're, we are communicating and we've enhanced our mode of communication with our parents. Um, but in terms of our students, a balancing act, um, I think that there have been several things that have come out of the pandemic that have been a benefit. And it, one of the things is that we are able to look at the way we educate our children a little differently. Um, we use a lot of technology right now. Um, resources are more, more readily at your fingertips. You can have a student on quarantine and that student can still keep up with their, their classes virtually. Uh, we do have a virtual program in our district. We're very limited. We have a 5% cap based on our state um, Department of Education that we can only have 5% of our population. We have 4,000 students. So 5% of our 200 students can, that can be in a virtual academy program. And we've had students to take advantage of that. And with that, just trying to make sure that we're constantly trying to modify and adjust because it's constantly evolving. Last week was totally different from this week. And so just making sure that we constantly are planning, that we're constantly communicating with families, we're keeping up abreast of the research. And, and, and one of the major things is making sure that we are here to the law. Um, right now in South Carolina, we cannot mandate masks in our schools. And I know that's a challenge for our families to understand, but in my role as superintendent, I've got to show our children that we abide by the law. Whether or not you agree with the law or you like the law, um, we have to respect the law, and if we don't like a law, then there is a way and a proper process to deal with it. But fortunately, even without having a mask mandate, we do have a large percentage of our population that are masked. So we're very fortunate. But it has truly been a balance in this year. No. And Armstrong, <laughs> if I could just add this, as a parent, we simply want politicians to stop playing games. We, and we just want them to do the right thing for our children, whether it's coming from the left or the right. We simply want them to do what's right. And so at Bass Public Affairs, we make decisions based on the three C's, clarity, courage, and competence. We need clarity on the issues. We don't need the flip-flopping that's been going on in, in D.C. We need people to be completely clear about exactly what we should be doing and what they want us to do. And we need courage. We need them people to have the courage to do the right thing and not just do what's popular. And we need confidence. Um, President Trump, he was completely, I mean, he completely executed um, um, uh, warp speed and the confidence to get it done and to get it done. The Biden administration needs to be completely clear on exactly what needs to be done in, in regards to taking the vaccine. And I believe that simply it must be done with, and it can be done without mandate. Let me, let me, let me stay with you a minute before we go to break. How have you made sure that your 14-year-old did not fall behind over the last two years. What is it that you as a parent have had to evolve to um, to adjust to the new world that we find ourselves in as it relates to education in the era of COVID-19 that other parents can learn from your examples, making sure that they, your kid gets the best quality education? Honestly, Armstrong, we didn't do anything different. We continue to do the same things that we were doing when they were in school in person. Constantly reading, having dinner at the dinner table. Maybe we didn't have dinner at the dinner table all the time, every single night, but several times a night, talking about the day, watching the news together, allowing her to ask questions about what's going on, what she understood, what she didn't understand about the news. Um, just communication. Uh, and, and so nothing really changed for us in terms of she was here and, and, and on her computer and with 
you know, virtual learning, but she had her iPad and whenever she did have her iPad open, it, she had a certain amount of time. You have a certain amount of time to play games or to watch a video or do whatever you want to do. But that same amount of time you got to give me in reading and finding something that's educational that you like to do. And so now we call her, um, we have a nickname um, that we call her because she's always coming up with these different facts. And so we call her Fun Fact Dalen because every single day now she has a fun fact to share with us about something that she's learned in reading. And so just continuing to, to talk to our kids and, and we're not perfect parents by any stretch of imagination, we make mistakes, but you have to, to listen to your kids and talk to them and look them in the eye so they know that you're paying attention and not while you're cooking dinner or while you're doing something else, but sit down, be still, and give them that attention so that they know that you're paying attention and listening to them. So nothing changed for us. We just continue to do those same things that we did before. My question for you is with so little time um, par parents and teachers have to really control what's going on with their children's consumption of electronic media, by that I mean social media especially, what kind of policies would you suggest that schools implement to rein in use of technologies like TikTok on the campus? Well, in our district, um, we do have a very good technology department where we have different applications that are security models that are supposed to shut down based on language, based on content. But of course, we know that students are savvy and there are times where they do get around um, those programs or applications. Um, but again, we put acceptable use policies in place um, that our students and our parents have to sign. And we make sure that our, our teachers, our educators address um, the proper use of technology in class. I will say that we allow devices um, for educational purposes on our campuses. And so by teachers modeling the proper use um, and monitoring classroom, it takes a lot of uh, monitoring. And right now we're a one-to-one -one district, um, very thankful to be a one-to-one -one district where we do have a device in every child's hand. And so it just it takes our adults to be a little bit more active. And so in terms of policies, just making sure that you have those acceptable use policies in place, making sure that there's constantly monitoring and making sure that you have multiple applications that serve as firewalls and security measures to prohibit students as much as possible to getting to that content that is not appropriate for um, young children. Adam? My hat goes off to both of these women uh, and what they do every day to make a difference in young people's lives, really. They really appreciate it. There's a point I wanna, I wanna uh, bring up that Superintendent, you kind of suggested we're reading all about these fiery board meetings all over the country where especially parents are coming to these meetings and they're angry. They're on one side of the issue or the other. But we live in a land of law, or we, we, we think we do, laws and rules. So whatever the law and rule is, is, as violently as opposed as you may be to that, when it comes to the schools, how do you deal with parents who are on the other side of that, uh, who are law-abiding so, you know, boots on the ground kinds of people. How do you deal with them so they aren't further inflamed as opposed to informed and somewhat say, okay, if that's the way it is, I totally disagree, but that's the way it is. How do you deal with those? Things? I, and I have seen the same thing in terms of board meetings across the country getting out of hand um, with parents on both sides of the aisle. 
And the reality of it is, as a school system, we have to make sure that we're staying firm, fair, and consistent. Um, we attempt to follow our state guidelines that are in place. And we also have school board policies that are in place. And one of the things that I do is trying to make sure that I'm constantly in communication with parents. Next Monday, I'll be having a forum, more of a, of a table talk, town hall um, type environment. I have four of those scheduled um, each week this month. And just to inform, keep the community informed. And that's part of our job, not only just for enforcing our, our procedures and our policies, but also to educate our families as well. Because sometimes people make opinions off of things that they don't know. And so my role is to also educate our parents. So making sure that I'm staying in front of our parents, that I'm talking to them when they are calling, that I'm having those conversations, that I'm putting out statements whenever there's a need to put out a statement, that we are being um, very transparent. Um, we have a COVID dashboard that is on our website. Um, to keep informed of the virus activity that's within our schools. Anything that we can do to, to remain transparent, I think, helps the conversation. Um, again, I go back to our state laws and our state guidelines when I'm talking to parents that we do want to make decisions that are in the best interest of our students, but we also are held to our, our state guidelines and our state regulations as well. And so to answer your question, to sum it up, is by keeping um, the public well-informed as much as possible, not just giving an answer, but giving the rationale or the reason for an answer. And so sometimes people respect that, even when they don't agree, when you tell them the why behind your decision, I think it does help a little bit by you just taking time to communicating that. And let me just add that as a parent, I can appreciate that superintendent and, and, and we need more superintendents like that because as you continue to say, having that transparency, that is so important. And if you're continuously talking to your parents and informing them and letting them know as soon as you get information and you're making sure that they have that information, and it allows the parents to, to know that you have an open door and they can come and talk to you and ask questions. And it, it gets them to feeling a lot better and at ease, even if they don't agree with what's going on, because they hear it from someone who they know has the best interest of their kids at heart. Um, it, it makes a it makes a huge difference. So kudos to you and to your team for doing what you're doing in the Carolinas. And I think that that needs to be spread throughout because that will definitely help keep some of these boardrooms and these you know parent meetings a lot calmer. Um, having that transparency. So thank you so much for what you're doing in your community. That's awesome, Superintendent. But they um, would any of you would want to be a child today in our schools in the classroom, just think about it. You got fear from the virus. You got society just literally breaking down all around you. Uh, we are fighting about how history should be taught and we're making our students into victims. And would you want to be a student? Just think about everything that's going on today as, for a child in the classroom, just being in that environment. I don't have to well, think, I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, I will answer a little bit different. Um, I mean, I'm a 100% educator from the, from the heart. It, this is my 24th, 25th year. And I still think the classroom, the learning environment is a good place to be. Um, I do think that we've seen much better times and I hope that we will get back to those much better times. 
But I think that as the adults, I think that there's some things that we can do to kind of calm the classrooms as much as possible. We talk so much about academics, but we can't ignore the social, emotional learning component of it. And so with that being stated, um, it is a challenging time in classrooms, but I th still think being in a learning environment is where our children need to be developmentally. Um, but again, we can't just focus just solely on the academics. We've got to take care of the social, emotional as well. What gives and you, as an adult. What, what gives you hope, the progress? Because obviously what I'm putting on the table today is just, is a lot of sadness, a lot of challenges. But you know what? You also must seek out the light the progress, the encouragement. So where is the light that we don't always see in this darkness? Well, my, I just, go ahead. I'm sorry. My daughter is excited about being in school. She, when, in, I think it was in February when they were, schools were kind of slowly starting to open and uh, her school at the time sent a notice out and was asking any students that would like to come back. He was one of six students that said, yes, I'm ready to come back. And so she's excited and now she's in high school. So she's really excited about being in school, being in the classroom, being in person with her friends and her teachers and, and learning in person and now being able to continue her lacrosse games and play lacrosse. So the, for me, the light is seeing her excitement as well as my 19 year old who's on a college campus praying every day that he stays safe and, and the entire campus stays safe but they're both very excited to be in person with their instructors and learning in person and being safe and enjoying it. So that makes me feel good um, because they're happy to be there and, and their growth, I can see that mentally, emotionally, and physically, which is a great thing because during COVID sometimes just the stagnant of being at home behind a computer, it was a challenge at sometimes. And, and but now that they're able to be with their peers, it is a blessing. It really is. Um, Superintendent Bethay, um, obviously, um, being in the environment you're in, you're with the future leaders, the geniuses, the medicine, the science. You get to see things that sometimes parents cannot see uh, that gives you great hope. Talk about what's in the classroom now, when they really have the environment and when they're learning and you get to see their genius and their potential. We, speaking of the, the students in our community, and we are rural South Carolina, but we have a lot of talented and smart children in our school system. Um, I'm just amazed. I will highlight one of our programs. We have a Montessori program, and, and that was one of the things that I've recently done is expand our Montessori offerings in, in the district. We can walk into a kindergarten, first grade classroom in a Montessori classroom and looking at those students doing division, kindergarten and first graders. And it is a different approach to learning. And that just excites me. Um, and I'm hoping to continue to grow Montessori because our Montessori data is outweighing our regular traditional data by almost triple. Um, but just in the regular classroom, there's still excitement, even though there's, there's a lot of fear. Students are excited about learning still. Uh, we have a STEM Academy um, in our district that is going very well. Right now, they're doing a lot with um, agricultural science at the STEM lab. Last week, we had our first graders out planting, planting plant, um, preparing for whatever um, animal they're trying to um, get in, in their new fences um, as they talk about agriculture. Um, we have students that are so talented in the art. 
um, students in our district that go on to the governor's school. So there's a lot of talent and I'm seeing it every day. Scholars that have a tremendous amount of potential. The key is making sure that we have learning experiences and high quality staff that can tap into those experiences because so often many of those kids um, underestimate their abilities. And so we need to make sure that we have educators that are encouragers, that are motivators, and that are not talking about the barriers, but are working hard to remove the barriers. And so um, I'm just hopeful. I am hopeful. Um, I think that we're going to see a much better day. I think that with all the resources that we've been given through the pandemic, we've been able to do some things that we never thought that we would be able to do in terms of with our students and with our classrooms. And so I'm just hopeful and I know that we're going to be able to accelerate learning and we're going to recover from all of this um, academic loss that we're, we're still going through right now. Um, but I think as adults, we have to remain hopeful because our students, our children are looking at us. Um, they're watching us. They're listening to us. And so I have no choice but to be hopeful because if I have no hope, then I give them no hope. Listen, Superintendent Candace Bethay for the Marion County School District, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.